Okay, Erev Tov, good evening, ladies. Thank you for coming, for being a part of it. Baruch Hashem. This is uh, the first class I gave, for, I'm giving for the SBM ladies program. I've heard a lot of success about the program. Baruch Hashem, it's a zechut to be a part of it. I, I, can I just ask just how many, just by raise of hands, people are going to all of them, going to some of them? So who goes to more than one? Oh, 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 okay, okay. Okay, good. So you guys will all keep me in check then. You guys know how it's supposed to be done. You're first. Okay. Mine too, mom. Mine too. I, uh, <laughs> I think uh, before, before we start, I have to acknowledge Baruch Hashem. Thank you, Naomi, my wife, for, for being here, for always supporting me in everything that we're doing in Torah study and at home, everything. Thank you. I love you, Naomi. Uh, we wouldn't be able to do it without you. Thank you. Also, acknowledging my family, my mom, my mother-in-law, my sister, my father. Thank you all for coming. Baruch Hashem. Uh, it's, it's an honor. It's an honor to, to be able to, to teach Torah to, to people that I love. And everyone else, thank you for coming out on a Thursday night. Baruch Hashem. So there's a, there's a rule that's brought down in Halakha, in, in Gemara, and it's brought down in Halakha, that says as follows. Shloshim yom kodem lachag, 30 days before a holiday, sholim v'dorshim b'lchot lachag, you begin discussing the halachot of that day. So it's like the, like the red zone. When you, when you step into this time period, you start discussing the halachot of the day. So we, we are now within the 30 days of Purim. Purim tonight, I believe, is the 19th of Shvat. Purim is on the 14th of Adar. So we're even less than 30 days. So we're, we're, we're a little bit late, if, if you want to start thinking about it. And there's halachot about the day. The good thing about Purim is that it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of interesting stories to it. And so uh, these next four weeks... Which is leading up to the Thursday right before, leading up to Thursday right before Purim. What we'll do is we'll go through the Megillat there and we'll try to the, share different uh, parts of the text, but also the Gemara. There's a Gemara, Mesechan Megillah. There's an entire book of the Gemara that's devoted to uh, Mesechan Megillah. This Megillah is about all the laws of halachot about the Megillah, so how it has to be written, laws about the scroll, then once we get into that, so laws about Torah, how you write the Torah, halachot, how you read the Torah, how you read the Megillah, and all of these sorts of laws that come up in the, in the and then also it gets into the laws of Bet Knesset, the Kiddushah of the Bet Knesset, there's a ton of laws in there, but there's a nice, like maybe six or seven pages that is just going through commentary on the Megillah. And it's, it's fun, because Gemara very often is hal- very halachic-based. And then you have this uh, you know, stretch of dapim, stretch of pages that all talk about the, the, the story of the Megillah, Megillah the text, and they elaborate on the story. So it's really very beautiful. And so I, what I'd like to do is I'd like to share Megillah Tester through the lens of the Gemara, through the Talmud, through the lens of Chazal, Chachamim, and through the Mitrashim. And again, primarily it's going to be from the Gemara. This Gemara is something that I... Uh, I enjoy, I enjoy very much. I actually, I think the first time I uh, learned the Sechad Megillah, I think I was 17 years old. And I've learned it a couple times since then, and I've taught it a couple times since then. So it's a lot of, it's a lot of fun, and it's something that I hold very dear to my heart. And also, the whole holiday of Purim is the holiday of, of the woman. The woman is the, 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 the hero or the heroine of the story, Esther. The book is called the Book of Esther. The author of the book is Esther. So this is something that you all should... Uh, should actually be teaching me about. I should be sitting, and you should all be lecturing me. But this is the, the idea of of the woman as the leader. We have we have several key characters throughout all of Tanakh that are the prominent characters as a woman, and Esther is one of them. And Esther did a lot of things that was really really it saved the Jewish people. It's really it's a tremendous 
It's a tremendous story. So let's go ahead and uh, get started. And as you read the Megillah, I think for this week I'll give a little bit of intro and then we'll start reading inside. I think for future weeks the, the Chumashim actually have the Megillah on the back. So we could read together, uh, or if you want, you could pull it up on your phone, but I think for tonight we'll be okay. Starting next week, we'll look inside a little bit. But let me, let me just start off with the following. The book of Esther was written under the kingdom of Achashverosh when he was still reigning, when he was still in, in, uh, the king, when he was still the most powerful person. It was published during his time. Not just during his time. It was like really published like on his dime. He, the queen was writing this book, who was paying for it? It was, it was like from the government, it was from the king, like she was, the, she was from the government. And so it's very important to know this context, because if you don't understand that, you don't know what book you're, you're, you're reading. The book you're reading is, a, is you're reading a book to the future generations of Jewish people to tell us about the story of Purim, but it is censored and filtered by Achashverosh. So when Esther wants to write something to us, she can't write anything negative. Esther and Mordechai together they wrote. She, they can't write anything negative about Achashverosh. Why? Because it's, it's being printed by the, the, the Persian dynasty, by the Persian kingdom. So how is she supposed to tell us anything? If she wants to be truthful, she has to speak through code. She has to give us through some hints. Now the good thing is, Esther is really the last book of Tanakh that we have. So there are 24 books of Tanakh. So when she was around, there were plenty of books of Tanakh before her. And so one way of writing in code to us is by using the books of Tanakh to use similar words. And when you use this word here, that word there, it's hinting something to you. Or doing some different, like different ways of writing things that when you study the other parts of Tanakh and you have that analytical understanding, you're going to get what she's saying, which that's what the whole Megillah is. And there's, there's two things that I want to mention. Okay, so on the day of Purim, and if anyone knows this, do we say Halal? Do we say Halal on the day of Purim? Halakha. Halal on Purim. Okay, do we say it on Chanukah? Yes, very good. Do we say it on Pesach? Yes. yes. I'm not trying to trick you. I'm just trying to say, do we say it on Sukkot? Yes. Shoshar Galim, Shavuot. That's the next one. Rosh Hashanah? No. Oh, okay. Sorry. We're almost there. No, Rosh Hashanah we don't. But there's another reason why we don't do it for Rosh Hashanah. For Rosh Hashanah we don't because, as the Gemara tells us, is that Sifrei Chaim Metim Lifanecha Niftachim Atim Amrim Shira, the books of life and death are in front of you and you're going to start singing a song. There should be some seriousness to the day, so on Rosh Hashanah we don't. But all of the other Chagim, all of the other Yamim Tovim, we do. And even the rabbinic ones, like Hanukkah, we do. But on, on Purim we don't. Why don't we read Halal on Purim? And it's very much tied to what I just explained about Achashverosh. Well, actually the Gemara in Megillah asks this question and gives us three answers. Answer number one, the Gemara says, is it has to do with the fact that the miracle occurred outside of Israel. And when miracles occur outside of Israel, we don't establish a holiday for it. What's the problem with that answer? Sorry? Well, no, no. We need to read about it. But to establish Hallel, Hallel only gets established for miracles that occur in Israel. There's a big problem with that. Pesach. That's what the Gemara says. What do you mean? Pesach happened in Egypt. The Gemara says yes. Because we didn't get to Israel yet. When we were outside of Israel, all of the Jewish people were there. A miracle that occurred in Egypt 
So now we'll say Hallel. But once we got to Israel and we built the Beit Hamikdash, and the Beit Hamikdash was destroyed, and we went to to Persia, and I'll explain the timeline in a second. Went to Babel, went to Babylon, Iraq, Iran, these areas. Miracles occurring over here are like second tier, even though they're occurring to the entire Jewish people. This is one answer the Gemara says. Another answer the Gemara says: Why don't we say Hallel? Is because we're reading the Megillah. It's almost like what you were saying. It's not why do we read about it. It's the very fact that we are reading about it. You don't need to do the Hallel. The reading about it is the Hallel in itself. Third answer. How are we going to sing Hallel if we're still servants to Achashverosh? The Gemara says, when we say Hallel, the first line of Hallel is, Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Avdeh Adonai. The Gemara says, Avdeh Hashem, but not Avdeh Paro. We are the servants of God, not the servants of Paro. But now, the Gemara says, what are we supposed to say? Avdeh Hashem, below Avdeh Achashverosh? We're still the servants, or Akati, we're still the servants of Achashverosh. So this is very poignant, that after the story of Megillat Esther, we're still living in, in Iran as, as subservient uh, to another nation. Again, that's the context to understand how this Megillah was written. And I'll give you some other examples to, to point out how there's certain things you just can't say against the king, okay? So how did we get to Iran? Baruch Hashem, if there's anyone who should feel that this is their, this is their holiday. Actually, I remember, in, uh, I remember when I was in Yeshiva University, I was, giving, I was in a class with uh, Rabbi Rosenzweig. He, uh, he was very much involved with the Mashadi community back in Queens. And he, would, he, he very much liked me because I was Persian. And he knew, I told him that he was Misadeki Dushin for my parents. I think I said that the first day and I got my A. I, I didn't have to do anything else. I actually didn't have to do it. I did. I, I was in, very interested, but I didn't have to. I, I got my A from the very beginning. But he would always tell me, like, this is your holiday. This is the holiday of the Persians. This is the, your thing. So like, I felt like it was one of mine. How did, how did we end up in, in Persia? What happened was, we were all in Israel. That's the times of David HaMelech, Shlomo HaMelech, built the Beit HaMikdash. We were there for hundreds of years. 400 years, over 400 years. 410 years, actually. We had our Beit HaMikdash in Yerushalayim. Babel came, came around, Nebuchadnezzar Rashab, who took over the lead of Babel, and he became very, very powerful, and he turned his eye to the Beit HaMikdash, to the Jewish people, and he conquered us, and he, he exiled us, and there was one wave of Jews that had to leave Israel to go down to Babel. Then there was a second one a couple of years later, and then they eventually destroyed the Beit HaMikdash many years later. It wasn't right away, but it took some time. So Nebuchadnezzar was the Yemach Shemov was like the Hitler of the time. He actually was killing and persecuting Jews and he was exiling and throwing us out and just murdering and enslaving us. And he was the one who destroyed the Beit HaMikdash, Yemach Shemov So this is Babel. After Nebuchadnezzar is another king of Babel. After that, the Persians take the lead. The Persians now fight wars against Babel. So you had, the Jews were powerful Babylonians came, took over from the, from, the, from the Jews. And we weren't really leading the whole world, but we were extremely powerful. And then after the Babylonians took over them, maybe it was like some like 50 years later or something, even more, the Persians came and took over the, the Babylonians, and then we ended up in Persian rule. Okay? And now this is really the context of where we begin. He is, Ahasuerus is now a king. He is now... Fallen into his lap is the entire world. Imagine that. You go from when Persia took over 
they went from having a country to having the world, just like that. So that's where the Megillah begins. So I'm going to start reading again, like I said, I think for future weeks we could read inside. But I'll read it for this week, given, uh, given where we are with the time and how much I want to cover tonight. So the Megillah begins by it says, Achashverosh, In the days of Achashverosh, Hu Achashverosh, Hamolech Mohodu Kush Sheva He is the Achashverosh that was led the provinces from Hodu to Kush. I don't know if you could see this, but this is a map. You probably can't see it, so it doesn't matter what it's a map of. But I'm telling you, this is a map from Hodu to Kush. Here is where Israel is. This you can see is the Nile River. This is Africa. The north west of Africa is Egypt. And below that is where they say this area is Ethiopia. This is what they say is Kush. So Kush is like Africa. It could also be used as a larger term of Africa. And then Hodu is India all the way this way, from Hodu to Kush, and essentially, based on what our understanding is, is during that time, this is where the civilized world lived. I mean, I guess Native Americans lived here, right? probably right in this spot, or, or someone was here, maybe, but as far as we know at that time, this, the world as we knew it was from Hodu to Kush. That's what it was. They didn't have, you know, like Columbus was in the year or whatever. We're talking about... Um, millennia before that. So we're talking about what, what the years are in the year 3300 uh, since creation, whereas I guess, you know, we're, we're talking about well over 2,000 years before that. So this is essentially the civilized world. There are different opinions of the Gemara where Hodu and Kush are. Some say that they're actually close to each other. It's a whole different, different opinions. But it, as effectively, he's leading the whole world. And then it tells us that in his third year, he decides to throw a party. So it's very intriguing. Why does he throw a party in his third year? And why does he throw a party? And who does he throw a party for? How long is the party? What are the details? Who's on the invite list? This is what the Megillah then goes on for the next, the next uh, paragraph to explain to us. So I'll tell you a little bit about the elaborate party plan. Any party planners in the room? I bet you couldn't throw a party like this because I don't know how this is even possible. What the Megillah tells us is that in the third year of his reign, he decides he wants to throw a party and his on his invite list is the His guest list is the dignitaries and the leaders from every country in the world. Everyone. And like, you, you can't, this is telling them that they come and they're invited. So how long? You think it's like a weekend? It's not a weekend. It tells us 180 days. Six months long. So six months long, I, I doubt they were all like just in the same room and sleeping there. Like it meant they had to have room and board, and they had hotels, and they had places to go, and they had places to eat. Had to go back and forth. They probably had excursions, going and seeing the Persian. Uh, I don't know. Maybe took trips throughout the, the the civilized world to see things. But effectively, they had this party that was for six months long, for leaders from the entire world. And after the hundred eighty days, the six months, Asaha Melech. The king makes the He makes another party for everyone in the city of Shushan. Shushan Abira is the capital city. It's where he is. It's like imagine Washington D.C. So imagine you go and you get an apartment, and you happen to be in Washington D.C. and you have uh, your you know your utility bill. You pay your uh, your you pay your electricity bill, and your zip code says Washington D.C. You would come up to the palace. They'd say, "Show me your utility bill." You show, "Hey, I live in Washington D.C." You come right in. This is the after party. After 106 months long, there was one week long for the, his locals. 
His, you know, like, this, these are his people. This is who lives close by to him. And this was not dignitaries, necessarily. So I have a question for you, and I'll tell you, the Gemara has two different opinions. He went very heavy, six months long, and he went first with all of the dignitaries and the leaders, and then afterwards he had one week long for his uh, locals. Do you think he did that in the right order, or in the wrong order? I'll tell you this, the Gemara says both of those opinions, so you can't go wrong. Both are right. So tell me why it would be what he did was a smart thing. I'll tell you like this. The first thing is that the first party was the important people. It was all of the leaders, all of the governors, all of the dignitaries, all of the heads of state. So the first person that you start you know, getting warm with and becoming friends with are those people. So he was very smart. He was very politically savvy. In fact, the Gemara tells us something fascinating. His father was not the king. There was a Persian king, Koresh, before him. I always get confused with Koresh and Daryavesh, or like Kurush and Daryush. Why? Because Kurush, 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 Koresh and Daryavesh, there's a few of them. And they also, the Tanakh calls each one the, a wrong name sometimes, like on purpose to say, it could very well be that the name Koresh actually was like a title. Like, your, your name was like, I don't know, it's a Persian name. Uh, whatever it was, so you have some Persian name, and then you become the king. Like, okay, I changed my name to Koresh now. It could very well be, because you see that in the Tanakh, that it talks about Daryavish and it calls him Koresh, sometimes. So, like Paro, exactly. It could be the same as Paro. Paro is a title. It's not a first name. Koresh is a first name, but it could be like he changed his name. It could be, it's possible. Regardless... There was a Persian king before Ahasuerus, and then he came in to be. And according to the Gemara, he was not of uh, royal blood. He was not. He happened to be actually more of like uh, someone who worked his way up. And he was like, uh, the way the Gemara tells us, that he was like the, worked in like the farm. He was a stable boy. And he was not of loyal, uh, royal lineage, and he built himself up. The Gemara also says that. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Some says, you see, he was, he was nothing. He's garbage. Ashkhal. He was actually garbage. But on the other hand, you could say, no, look at him. You know, from rags to riches. Look at what he built for himself. So the Gemara says both these perspectives. The Gemara says both the perspectives with how he invited. He invited all of these people from throughout the world because he needed to make friends. He needed to show them who he was. He was building a rapport with them. The other one says, look, when there's a, if there's ever a revolution or if there's ever a war, who do you need to get your back? Your locals, they're the ones who are going to protect you. They're the ones that are going to go out and fight for you. So you're going and you're making friends with everyone else, but you're not thinking about your own people of your local area. It wasn't a smart move. The point is how the Gemara is getting to the, the sensitivity of he was, a, he was a very good politician and very involved with these decisions. Because, look, you're leading the world. It doesn't just happen by accident. You have some opinions in the Gemara that says, eh, he was a horse guy and he just ended up there. But it's pretty clear that he was politically savvy and he was, he was very smart. And even as you see how it's done in the Megillah, it's like sometimes he, he does things by closing an eye and so that he can't get in trouble afterwards. Very smart, politically savvy king. It's what you would expect from someone who's in such a powerful position. So he throws this party six months long and then, and then it tells us about like the different stuff that he has. The chairs are made out of gold. Chairs are made out of silver. And I'm not talking about like painted gold. Like there was actual gold, actual silver. The Talmud speaks about all of that. The, there's marble on the floor. Just like here. This like looks like Akashvirish. I mean, no, this is 
This is much nicer. But like, there was very nice room, nice designs, very nice uh, setup. This, this is amazing. When they would get to their table, everyone would have a goblet to drink wine out of. They were drinking, they were drinking the whole time. And it tells us, uh, the, the, there, was un, there was an open bar six months long, and they didn't check anyone's ID. It was just like, whatever you wanted. But one of the things that I find fascinating, that the Megillah says, I, I just, it, it just the attention to detail, it says, Every cup was different. They didn't go to, to somewhere and buy like the same wine glass, a hundred of them. You go, when you go to a catering hall, it's the same glass. Just hundreds of the same glass. Here, every single one was unique. Why? It wasn't mass-made. It wasn't mass-created. They were made out of gold. They were made with different detail. They were all artisan work, made for the king. So this, this is like just showing how extravagant it was. Okay, then we get, to, what time? What time do I have to stop? We said nine, nine? Okay, fine. No one's gonna, no one's gonna stop me, I'm just gonna keep going. This is, this is a, what we now get to the section is the se- section of Vashti. Six months long, there's wine, a bunch of men, they're probably drunk, and I mean, they're definitely drunk, and then the, Torah t- the Megillah tells us that they call Vashtiyan. Gam Vashtiyan Malka Asta Nashim. She was also having a party. She was having a party for the woman. Look, they're very tzniut. The men had a party, the woman had a party separately. It's like a proof that you should have separate seating at a six-month-long drunk parties. I'm, I'm, I'm just kidding. Bayom on the seventh day of that after party, so they had six months long of party, now it's seven months of the after party. So we're like literally the last day. We made it through six months and a week without anything crazy happening. And then the last second this had to happen. Ketov lev When the king's heart is like nice and full with wine, Amar, he says to his like uh, advisors, His seven uh, like advisors, his like cabinet members, he calls them all. And he says, To bring Vashti into this room with a crown. To show everyone, every single nation, how gorgeous she is, because she was gorgeous. In fact, the Megillah says so much, such that she was one of the most beautiful, one of the four most beautiful women in the world. That's how gorgeous she was. But the queen refused. I'm not coming. Now, why did she refuse? So there's the Gemara that says this, but there's there, the Gemara says like she she grew a tail, she grew out uh, boils. I think the Gemara is trying to say that yeah, she had terrible values herself, because based on our um, tradition, she was the granddaughter of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the one that I likened to. To Hitler before, so she's from that family. You hear about Hitler's granddaughter, you imagine she's a bad person. So they say, yeah, she was a bad woman. She wanted to come also. She couldn't because she was, you know, she grew a tail all of a sudden. They're saying this, but the real depth behind it is she should not be going. She absolutely should not be going here. Why? Because I'm sorry to say this. You have a bunch of drunk men there. There was no football in those days. So what do you think they're talking about? What do you think they're doing? These aren't like Kiddoshim. These weren't like people that were talking about Gemara or talking about Tanakh. What were they talking about? The way the Gemara tells us is that they're all talking about different women. Perhaps there are even women there. 
And then I'm sorry to say. And then Achashverosh says, you know what? I know a woman that's more beautiful than all of these women. And I, she's my wife. She's the most beautiful from all of them. And they're like, nah, 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 this one, I like this one more. He's like, no, 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 my wife is more beautiful. They're like, okay, bring her. He's like, I will. And he says, go tell her to come. She's like, I'm not coming. And should she come? Of course she shouldn't come. Of course she shouldn't come. She sh- but Achashverosh is drunk. And he, at this point, is uh, not being rational. He's also somewhat humiliated. Because it would be nice if you just texted her and you say, Hey, honey, can you uh, come now? And she'd be like, Not now, I'll talk to you tomorrow. The party's almost over. But that's not what happened. What did she do? What did he do? He sent seven of his cabinet members to go get her. So, like, the seven cabinet members come and they say, like, mm, Your wife doesn't listen to you. Like, they, they probably even made it worse. And so he was, he was furious. Because he was an idiot. Of course she shouldn't come. But this is what he was feeling. So then, he doesn't know what to do. So Vayomer, so he then says, I need to have an emergency cabinet meeting. He calls seven people. It seems like they're different people. He has so many people to talk to for this very important emergency. And this, this story right here is extremely important. He calls these seven people and he says, we need to have a meeting. My wife refuses to come out to flaunt herself in front of a bunch of drunk men. It's ridiculous. What should we do? So it says, I hope you could sense the sarcasm in my voice. I'm not serious. Right? I, I, I think he, he was, he was, I think he's a pig and he's ridiculous. And you're going to see a lot of that throughout the entire story. But now he's saying, like, oh, she's not coming. So they say, and all of a sudden you have Memuchan and says, I have an idea. Look, there's a problem. Right now, people are going to find out. People are going to hear she said no to you. And then you know what's going to happen? Women are going to say no to their husbands. It's going to be a big problem. The whole kingdom, all 127 provinces, are going to have a bunch of men asking their wives to do things. Their wives are going to say no. And they're going to say, this is Achashverosh's fault. Achashverosh, you are forever going to be the humiliation of men forever. It's like the beginning of the, the feminist movement. Right now, through this man, by, by saying, like, women are now going to say no to, the, to men? We can't have that happen. Okay? It's very important. So he says, I have a, I have a suggestion. Memuchan says, number one, get rid of her. You got to dethrone her. Take the crown off her head, give it to someone else. Does the text say to kill her? No, the text doesn't. The Gemara says they killed her. The Gemara says that. But the text doesn't. So why would the Gemara say that? Again, the Gemara is saying is like in hindsight, it might seem ridiculous that the king would have the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar, of royal blood, murdered because she did something like this. So the, the Megillah is almost covering up by saying, he just took the crown away from her, but she was fine. But Chachamim explained like, no, he killed her. He had her killed. Regardless, however it is, he says, number one, get rid of her. Number two, you need to pass a law. As far as we know, this is the first executive order coming out of the office of the king. Okay, what is the law? The law is, at home, the man is the ruler. That's the law. Okay, I'll read it to you so that you know I'm not just making this up. So this is all his suggestion. And also something that's very important is that this was not Achashverosh's idea. Somewhat of a passive king, pretty passive. He says, I don't know what to do. Someone says, I know exactly what you're going to do. You're going to pass the law that women have to listen to men and you're going to get rid of her. He says, okay, fine. I mean, he was drunk. And what, what, is he expect- what he should have done is he should have said, you know what, let's, let's, wait, let's wait it out. Don't ever make important decisions when you're drunk after drinking for six months. Don't ever make important decisions like that. You might come to make a mistake like that. So, so what happens? It says, um, 
He did exactly what Yaakov Memuchan said. They sent a letter to every single country, every single nation, every single city, every single language. Every single language. That every man should be the, the, the ruler of his home. So the Gemara says how it was extremely important that this was the first law that came, the first executive order that came out of it, his, his uh, office. Why? Because people saw, opened this up, like, wow, we're gonna get the first law. What's the first law? It's like, this guy's ridiculous. This guy from over there is telling me what's supposed to happen in my home. First of all, the man sees this, he's like, I, I want to, great, but thank you very much. You're gonna help me? Who's gonna help me? If, we, if I get in a fight with my wife, I'm gonna pull out this law and say, well, you have to listen to me. What, 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 it, it's, it's ridiculous. This isn't a, it's not, it's a, it's a farce law. It's a, it's a law that cannot be enforced. And it's not, if a husband and wife are having an issue, it's not going to pull this out. And so essentially what the Gemara says is that he ruined his credibility by the first law that came out of his office was some, some family issue. It's like, imagine I passed, I become the president of the United States and the first law that I pass is every Tuesday night to eat chicken nuggets. Like, what are you talking about? It's like, it's such a ridiculous thing. This is what the Gemara viewed it as. That it was like a ridiculous law that was very helpful. And in fact, this is what the Gemara starts to tell us, building us a story, is that every single event that happens, every single detail that happens, happens exactly for a reason. And it happened this way, that the whole uh, quarrel with Vashti happened on the last day. He, he had to decide today. Remember how I was saying, like, if you were drunk, you know, wait until, sleep it off until tomorrow? He couldn't. They're going home. They have all their flights. The, the camels are outside. They're getting on their donkeys and they're leaving. So what am I supposed to do? I have to decide now. It's like that added to the, to the pressure. If this would have happened on the first day, he would have said, okay, 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 she'll come tomorrow. Let me go talk to her. Maybe, maybe, give, her, maybe give her two months, she'll come next month. He would have said something else. But there was no other time. So it had to happen. It's all happened on that day. And the way the person gave the advice. And then the person could have just said, Memuchan could have just said, get rid of her. And that would have been enough. But he had to add, you have to add a law, some ridiculous law. And Achashverosh said, yeah, fine. And that's the first law that comes out of his office, which was very good. It was very good for the Jewish people. It said the way that Megillah, the Gemara says it, is that if not for this first decree, not even a Jew would survive. Because when that later decree comes out, that they have to kill all the Jews, even though that, there, that decree was put out from the king, and people were ready to do it, there was some lack of credibility that he had, that there were many people that rolled their eyes. and just took it and just threw it in the trash. And why did that happen? Because the first one, they saw that the only thing this was worthy was for to throw it in the trash. So it's like, it got them training to say, this king is just a flipping king, and he's just... He's just ready to shoot off a, a tweet. He probably just goes in the, in the bathroom in the morning and just sends out a tweet. That's what this is. You don't read too much into a tweet when a tweet is coming out at 5 a.m. just like that. This is like almost, it's almost like what people felt it was like, right? If you're taking the tweets of someone who's tweeting, if you're taking it literally, you know, you're going to have, you're going to go, you're going to go crazy. If you take every single thing that he says is literally. So this is exactly what happened. They're like, ah, he's just exaggerating. He's just trying to draw something. Oh yeah, go ahead, kill all, kill all the Jews. Ah, he's just saying something. This is what happened to the people. Very, very, very interesting um, insight that the, that the Gemara tells us. Okay. We're good? Any questions? Okay, so now what happens? Next morning, he drinks his coffee. He's like, Vashti! 
she doesn't answer. Vashti, where are you? She doesn't answer. And he says, he wakes up. He remembered what he did. He's like, uh-oh, what do I do? Let me call my buddies again. Let me call my buddies. He calls up his friends. Uh, his, he calls his, his, his uh, brilliant cabinet. Again, these guys are, are they're doing great so far. And he calls them, and, he's, and he said, they said, no problem, we'll, get you, we'll just have a beauty pageant. We'll have a beauty contest. You get to see every single woman in the world. There's no other man like you in the world that has access to every single woman in the world. Enjoy it! We're going to call every single woman in the world. You come, whichever one you want, you marry. So this is what he does. Yeah, sure, okay, fine. Again, you see he's a passive king. Again, someone else says something, and he says yes. He's not so, not so active. Okay, so what happens? They go and they, ca- and they gather every single... Um, every single woman there is to bring him forward. Now it's very, it, it's actually very tragic, and it, it, it makes me sad to read what would happen. So the way that it tells us is that he would, the woman would come, be prepared. There was a guy, his name was Hage or Higat Hage, and he would like be her fashion artist and like do her hair and do whatever she wanted. And the Megillah tells us that whatever she wanted, he would give. She would be preparing to meet the king for how long? Sorry? Six months? Six times two. It was 12 months. It's just like six months she was doing one thing, six months doing something else. Gemara explains like she's just getting ready for her meeting with the king. One year. One year preparing for the The guy ruined people's lives. He went to people's homes. Anyone that was a young girl, pull him out of the home, Stay here, get yourself ready for one year to see the king, and then there's going to be the night that you're going to see the king. She comes in in the evening and she leaves in the morning, and she would go into a second house and she would stay there. Unless the king wants to see her, which the king would have to call her, otherwise she would just stay there forever. That's the end of her life, essentially. It's not so clear if she would be able to like go back home to her family or not. There's some commentators that say, no, the practice of the king was if, if there was a woman that was with the king, he's, she's not allowed to be with some commoner afterwards. It's disrespectful. The king was with her, no one else can be with her. So he was literally ruining the life of every single woman that he saw. It's a pig. Destroying their lives. Why? Because he could. So much so that the Gemara explains to us is that when they knew that this was happening, all of the women were hiding. They, who wants this? Who wants to be, go, go stay in prison for six, for, for six months plus another six months for, for a full year, be in prison, then go see this man for one night, and then go in prison for the rest of my life, unless he asks me to come out. No one wants that. No one wants that for their family. No one wants it for their, for their, their daughters, their sisters, their, their cousins. And so then we get to this, as he's doing this, the Gemara says something very interesting, and then I'll, uh, I'll sort of wrap us up with this idea, that it says, look at the difference between a Jewish king and a non-Jewish king. Non-Jewish king, Achashverosh, wanted to find himself a queen. Everyone was running away from him. They had to like send people from house to house to find the, the ladies, because no one wanted to come. But then David Melech it says that when he's interested in getting married, every single person that had a daughter, she was like one years old, she said, can I apply? 
Like any, anyone that had a daughter wanted to bring their daughter, David Amech, to be the, the wife of David Amech, to be the queen of, of Israel. So the Gemara just says, like, this is the difference between the Jewish king, who this is what he was going to do, and, and the non-Jewish king. So we get, we, once we get this context, we now are introduced to a man by the name of Mordechai and his relative Esther. Now I'm going to ask this. It's okay if you get the answer wrong. How are Mordechai and Esther related? Cousins? Uncle? Married. Okay, good. What'd you say? Husband, wife? Okay, very good. So, they are cousins. How do I know they're cousins? The Megillat says they're, they're cousins. It says it explicitly that Bat Dodo, the daughter of his uncle, Tochtar Amu. It says it, Bat Dodo. So why do we all think that they're his uncle? I don't know. Everyone thinks it's uncle. I was sure, when I asked this question, I was sure someone was going to say uncle. I have no idea why. But even I myself, sometimes I doubt it. As I'm reading the Megillah, I'm like, are you sure? As a, maybe this is a typo. Because we all think it's an uncle. Maybe it's like an age difference. We have a vision of an age difference. Someone told me how there was like a cartoon. that in the cartoon, they said it was an uncle. So maybe that's... I have no idea. But what I know is that Megillah itself says that they were cousins. Now the idea of them being married, um, that's not in the text, but the Gemara does expound and assume that they are married. The Gemara does assume they're married. Simple understanding, you don't have to assume that, but the Gemara tells us they're married. But again, keep in mind, this book was printed with the king under the king's kingdom. So let's say they really were married. You think it's going to write that they're married? Of course he's not going to write that. This man, Mordechai, that, you know, that Achashverosh is going to end up helping and he's going to end up promoting. It says in there, this is his wife. So you mean I married your wife and became the queen? Achashverosh would be humiliating for the king. So if it were true, it can't be written. So that's part of the reason why the Gemara, again, uses a certain word and assumes that they're married. Some people don't like this. There are some opinions that say, no, not necessarily. Not necessarily the case. But regardless... We're now introduced to the story of Mordechai and Esther, and we're going to get into the, the fact that she was taken, and she was going to be presented to the king, what she had asked for, what Mordechai mentioned to her, not to mention her family. It's a, whole, it's a very beautiful story. And then finally, we know that Esther ends up becoming the queen, the queen of, of the world. It's pretty crazy. We had... The queen of the entire civilized world was a Jewish woman, but not because the Jewish people were in charge. It's, it's amazing. It's how, it, and it's all the, the works of God. There's no other way that we would have been able to be saved later on. So when, this is like a very important thing about the book of Megillah. How many times in the book of Megillah does it mention God's name? Zero. Okay, very good. This one, there's no machloket. Everyone agrees. Even people who watch the cartoon, they agree. This is zero times this is the name of Hashem. There is one time in the Megillah that you can't help but feel how there's like a call of God. Uh, and I'll mention that when, when, uh, when we get up to it, where there's a section when Mordechai is trying to convince Esther to, to go uh, speak to the king. And she says, if you don't, and he says, if you don't do it, it's going to come from somewhere else. Like, and that very much is like, smells like, you know, God is going to save us one way or another. But it doesn't even, but he doesn't say it, right? And so here is the, the book 
the, of, of the Megillah. It doesn't mention the, the name of God. And this is like the famous understanding that it's, God is not doing open miracles in this story. This is very much hidden. But when there's like this string of events that occur and you're connecting the dots and you're doing it backwards, you would see like, if this didn't happen, this wouldn't happen. There could have been a million and one things that could have gone wrong that we would not have been able to end up being saved. But they all happen to fall the right way and you can't deny that, that Hashem is, is behind the whole scene. You can, if you want to, because it never says His name. But if you're being honest, you see that Hashem is involved from the beginning to the end. So this is Hashem, something that we'll, uh, we'll see next week. I'll just, I'll just wrap up with this idea that um, <clears throat> Mordechai, Mordechai the, as we're going to read it, it says he's a Ish Yehudi, he was a Jewish man, or from the tribe of Yehuda, really, but he's a Jewish man. And he is Ben Yair, Ben Shim'i, Ben Kish, the great-grandson of Kish. Okay? Has, is anyone familiar with the Kish? Or someone else who is in Tanakh with the name of Kish? Someone whose father is Kish? I'll give you a hint. He's the first king of the Jewish people. Shaul. Shaul Ben Kish. Shaul's father's name was Kish. Now, the way the timeline works out, this can't be the same Kish. Because we're talking about three generations up from Mordechai, Shaul is like a thousand years earlier. So the, the, it doesn't work out. So it could very much be how it's like, there's like a dot, 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 dot. It's like Mordechai is Ben Yair, Ben Shimi, dot, 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 Ben Kish, from the family of Kish, meaning from the same lineage of Shaul HaMelech. It could very well be. And what we're going to see is that there is a, another man that's going against Mordechai. Mordechai is going against Haman. And Haman is Haagagi. Haagagi, Agag, is the king that Shaul fought against from Amalek. So in the Megillah, what we're going to have is Shaul ben Kish and Melech Agag of Amalek. And I'll explain the whole story next week. We'll go into that entire story. I'll, I, I actually... We'd love to read it from Sefer Shmuel. We'll read that story and we'll see how this book is a rematch. We had a situation where there was a Jewish king and the Amaleki king and they had a battle and the Jewish king did something wrong and he failed. He failed. He did something wrong. It's very clear that he did something wrong. So much so that the kingdom was stripped away from him because of what he did. He was no longer king because of that event. And now we're going to have Mordechai ben Kish and Haman ha'agagi come back. And it's like, you're going to see, again, this is like what I was saying. When the Megillah is telling you something, think that Esther is trying to talk to you, knowing that you probably know Tanakh, but also knowing that I can't say everything. So, you know one way that she could tell you that like, this was the fight of Amalek? You know how? She could say, Mordechai's uh, grandfather is Kish. Achashverosh is not going to fact check that. Achashverosh doesn't care. But like she's putting a hint by telling you the son of Kish, the great grandson of Kish, who was a thousand years before him. It could be that they have the same name. It could be it's like a dot, dot, dot. Or it could be Esther is trying to tell you something. How there was a mistake that the Jewish people made then. And now we're having this now. And we can't make the same mistake again. And in the future, don't ever make this mistake again. She's talking to us in code, assuming that you know the Tanakh. 
it's a it's a very it's a very beautiful section. So Bezrat Hashem next week we'll talk about Mordechai, we'll talk about Esther, we'll talk about Haman, we'll talk about Shaul and Agag and that story. And uh, hopefully we're getting ourselves ready for uh, Purim. Okay, great job, everyone. Zakvaruch, Zakvaruch.